You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Aaron Rodgers now wears a different shade of green. We'll talk about that and much more. Welcome into Crunch Time right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here as we are broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios. Here in Upper Lafayette, FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. It was a great weekend on the diamond for three of our four teams. We will recap that weekend. We will look at the NFL draft as we are now three days away from Carolina making that fateful first overall selection. Is it going to be C.J. Stroud? Is it going to be Bryce Young? Are they going to throw everybody off and go somewhere else? We don't know. Will Levis 101. Oh, God. Hello, James Mesh. How are you, sir? Happy Monday, Matt. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So, the Aaron Rodgers trade has finally gone down. It has. I, For me, I thought they would have done it after. I get why they did it now, because it's like they wanted to slightly move up. The Packers did in the draft and Correct. make some pick swaps here and there. But I, I would have thought if you're three days away from the NFL draft, you maybe wait. And if you're Green Bay, if you're mainly looking to get re- like have it be mainly the second-round pick, then in 2024, you give up your second and third and like whatever else to sweeten up the deal since you'll have to wait a whole nother year. Because if you're the Jets and your plan is to win the Super Bowl, you would be presuming that it would be late second and third round picks. So then you would maybe throw in a little bit more to juice it up. Right. But I, I totally get why they did it. Get it out the way now. And now you make the pick swap. Now you, if you're the Jets, you're drafting at 15 instead of 13. And then you make a slight adjustment with the Packers moving up two spots. Yeah, so the full trade terms, the Jets get Aaron Rodgers number 15 and a fifth. While the Packers get the 13th, 42, a sixth rounder, and a second rounder next year that turns into a first if Aaron Rodgers plays 65% of the snaps. We love some conditional trades. Who wins this deal? Is it automatically the Jets because they get Aaron Rodgers? Or do do the Packers maybe have the advantage because of the draft capital that they received? Initially, initially you would probably say the Jets because you feel like you got the quarterback that you've been looking for and because you already got the team. You like the defense. You like the weapons around. You were just kind of looking for a quarterback. It's kind of the same thing with the Jets. But now you got your quarterback right now, and he's a proven guy. It's only going to be for a short, short term. That and that And that's my biggest thing. Because... If we're going to look at it five years down the line and you look at it, the farthest the Jets got was the second round of the NFL playoffs mm-hmm. and the Packers are, pro- are in that same area where they make it to the NFC divisional round or maybe even higher, you're going to be like, well, then the Packers won because the Packers, they were able to get off of Aaron Rodgers in that contract. They got nice compensation back and they're now having Jordan Love start as their quarterback who still currently on a rookie deal. At that point, he would be on a new one. But now you finally get to see what Jordan Love gets to do, which you drafted in 2020 with your first-round pick, and just see how it works out. This is going to be big for Zach Wilson also, by the way. Get to learn under a four-time MVP. Because what have I been saying? I don't think Zach Wilson's a bad quarterback. I do. I think he just needs time. And this gives Zach Wilson... Perfect opportunity for that time. So I think once Aaron Rodgers moves on and you turn the keys back over to Zach Wilson, I think you see a much better quarterback. So you think Zach Wilson is fine with sitting those two years or whatever? And What what choice does he have? Where's he going to go? Well, by the time his contract would be up, he can either stay or move he on. Has, he has two years left on his deal with the Jets possibly picking up a fifth-year option? Because he's only been in the league two years. He'll be entering his third one, yeah. Yeah, so he has two years left on his deal, plus a potential fifth-year option. 
I don't I don't see Aaron Rodgers playing three years in New York. I don't think he plays that long. I could be wrong, but I just don't see Aaron Rodgers playing that long. I mean, the dude contemplated retirement this offseason. I, I think I think you get two years out of Aaron Rodgers. You pro- yeah, you probably get two. But to me, does Zach want to sit for those two years and be like, wow, they he really showed me up, and then you turn it back over to him in 2025? Take a hard dose of reality, kid. <laughs> right? I mean, that's life. Anyways, looking at the weekend on the diamond for our local teams, We'll start with the really good. LSU gets their first sweep of the SEC season, taking down Ole Miss and Oxford Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Friday's final score, 7-3. to three. Saturday was an 8-4 to four win, and then Sunday was a 7-6 to six win thanks to a three-run home run, three-run pinch hit home run. From Hayden Travinsky with two strikes and two outs in the ninth inning. Ole Miss needed one more strike, and they could not get it. So, credit to the Tigers for that one. Again, their first sweep of the SEC schedule. They are now remaining at number one overall. They host Nichols tomorrow night in the 6.30 first pitch before hosting Alabama this weekend, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, McNeese also had a good weekend at home with their baseball team taking two out of three over UNO on the weekend. They're now 26-13, and 8-7 and seven in the Southland Conference. Friday night, they won 11-1 in seven innings. They dropped Saturday 9-2 and then roared back with a 6-2 win yesterday. They will now host LSUA tomorrow before heading on the road to Incarnate Word this weekend in San Antonio. And then there's the Houston Astros, James. They've struggled a little bit to start the season. They were playing under 500 ball. And you were very nervous about their trip to Atlanta. And and I'm not saying you specifically, just in general. Right. If you care about the Astros, you were worried about this trip to Atlanta with how hot the Braves have been to open the season. Well, thank you. Jordan Alvarez. He gets the game-winning home run Friday night. He gets the game-sealing home run on Saturday. And then he ties the game yesterday to give the Astros the momentum to run away with it with a 5-2 win to sweep the Atlanta Braves. But now there's an issue. You look at Jordan Alvarez and you looked at the way he played on the weekend and you go, oh man, guy's got to be in the best health of his life. Well, it was announced about three minutes ago that Jordan Alvarez is being flown back to Houston to have his neck looked at. Supposedly, he was experiencing some neck discomfort. So it is unsure whether he will be available at all in this series with Tampa Bay that begins tonight, or if he's going to be able to return to Tampa to benefit the Astros. According to Julia Morales, who is the sideline, Doug, I don't know how you would refer to it in baseball, dugout reporter, sideline reporter, anyways, Jordan Alvarez was sent back to Houston with neck discomfort. He's being looked at by team doctors. According to Dusty Baker, he's been dealing with it for a week. So think about that. Jordan Alvarez has been dealing with a sore neck for a week. So that includes the games against Atlanta. And on the weekend, he had six RBIs. And two homers? Doesn't seem like a problem to me. No, you know what it is? The guy's just built different. (laughs) You you were were talking about Julia, right? Correct. Yeah, I mean, they classify her as a sideline reporter, but I guess I would just call it a 
A dugout reporter? Dugout reporter sounds weird, though. It does. So I guess that's why they just roll with sideline reporter. Yeah, because they have her a part of the Astros broadcast. Correct. Team. So I guess you could just say sideline reporter. Yeah. But it feels, with baseball, it's different. Right, right. But dugout reporter just doesn't What's well, like an alternate word you could use for reporter? Analyst? I mean, I was thinking that, but it's like... Field she's, analyst? She's quickly reporting. Ooh, hey, there you go. Field analyst. That could work. That could work. Dugout personality. There you go. There you go. <laughs> now let's get to the ugly. Oof, boy, was it. If anybody knows me, you know I'm a Cajun. But man, was it a poor weekend for Matt Dex's crew. After riding high off of that huge win over top-ranked LSU, they go on the road to James Madison... A team that has a pretty strong offense, but not really much else. An RPI in the 150s. Friday night was a back and forth affair. You fell behind four nothing. You tied it. You you caught back up to four three. They took a five three lead. Then you went up six five. Then they made it seven six. Then you made it eight seven. And then you give up a walk-off three-run homer in the ninth after using three different pitchers in the ninth inning. So you you lose on a heartbreaker Friday. You know that's going to carry over into the next day. And boy, did it. Because Saturday was not pretty. 13-2. And then Sunday, I mean... The, the, you, you were at the point where you were in the hole and you got two fingers hanging on to the edge, holding on for dear life, and somebody just came and stepped on them and said, down you go. Nine to four. So let's, let's do some quick math here. Cajuns were outscored 32 to 14 on the weekend. Yikes. Yikes. And now, a quick bounce back because you got a pair of home midweek games before you play the number six ranked team in the country. You got tomorrow night against Southern. You got Wednesday night against Northwestern State. And then you play three against Coastal Carolina. Six o'clock on Friday, four o'clock on Saturday, and then a 10 a.m game on Sunday James the Cajuns with this sweep this weekend the Cajuns have now I'm not going to say that they have fully closed the window because I just don't know if that's true you would still call it a jar but when I tell you that crack is ever so minuscule you have no margin for error anymore. None. Because you were riding so high on that LSU win, you thought, at this point, the world is your oyster. And then you get swept by James Madison. That completely changes everything. You have 12 conference games remaining. One series against the top 10 team. One series against the team that was in the top 25 until they dropped a series to said top 10 team, and now they're out of the top 25. And James, I, I, I think the Cajuns have to go 10 and 2 if they want a shot at an at-large. I don't, it doesn't really matter where the two losses come from, but of the 12 games, I think you have to go 10 and 2. And that is almost impossible. But, Crazier things have happened. We'll see what they do. The offense obviously needs to bounce back. It, it just didn't perform well uh, th- this weekend, which was kind of surprising considering how hitter-friendly James Madison's park appeared to be. Uh, but, look, sweeps happen. Every, every, every team gets swept. It's how you respond. So... Hopefully the Cajuns can respond in a big way with a five-game week at 
home. We'll go ahead and take a time out here on Crunch Time. When we return, Wilson Alexander joins us from The Advocate. We'll get his thoughts on LSU's sweep over in Oxford. Plus, he'll break down the LSU spring game for us right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The Game has a brand new app. It is now your one-stop shop for all things The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Download the free mobile app today for Android or Apple devices. Just search The Game Southwest Louisiana. No matter where you are, you can listen to The Game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Johnson throws. Boutte's got it wide open at the 10. Far side. He's in for the score. Hit high. Hammer to left field. Going back. Taking a look. is Holcomb. And it's gone. Time to talk all things Bayou Bengals with the advocates Wilson Alexander. Here is Tiger Talk on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Wilson, happy Monday to you, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are y'all this afternoon? Oh, man, doing well. Thanks for asking. So, spring football has now come and gone. gives you gives you an opportunity to to take a deep breath and and, and reset a little bit. What were your thoughts on the spring game Saturday? Well, this looks like uh, two quarterbacks were particularly sharp, Jaden Daniels and Garrett Nussmeyer. Exactly what you would have wanted to see out of them in a spring game setting. Daniels particularly efficient. Nussmeyer continuing to show his arm as you know his deep ball. Um, so lots of like out of those two exciting, you know, play from the linebacker position with Harold Perkins inside. Now, uh, Omar space showing just how key of a transfer he's going to be from Oregon state with his ability to do a couple different things at linebacker. It was really fascinating to see them, you know, the, the, the two of them sort of move around and then Ovia Gofu as well, continuing to cement himself as the likely starter at Jack linebacker. Ryan Kelly's been high on him since he got here. Uh, he's an experienced player. He might not have kind of the upside of B.J. Ojolari, um, but they, they're pretty uh, pleased, I think, with Ovi and the way he played this spring, what he could give them at Jack linebacker. But there's also lingering questions about this team. They're going to have to get answered. Um, that was clear there as well. At cornerback, uh, I don't think there's any real clue exactly who else he's going to end up starting at corner. There's a lot of questions still to be figured out there. And also a kicker. Um, there was a shaky performance from the kicker. And certainly at least the main takeaway at this point in that position is that that is a competition that's going to be pretty fierce during the preseason. You know, looking at your article on The Advocate about the spring game, uh, one one thing that I really liked was when you talked about Jaden Daniels, you said that he looked more comfortable this time around because last year in the spring game he was still new to the program, relied on his legs a lot. Now he seemed more comfortable. Brian Kelly said he looked efficient. What did you see out of the quarterback? Exactly what you say. You know, the first throw that, that Jade Daniels made during the, the actual scrimmage, you know, the main scrimmage portion of, of the spring game, because it was split up into a couple different parts, was that, that throw to Kyron Lacey, who also should be somebody who should mention as really a riser this spring, had a really strong spring in the mix for a big, uh, you know, good bit of playing time. But the thing about that throw is if you see the, the view from behind Jaden, he starts with his eyes on the left, and he works his head across the field with his feet staying active until he sees Kyron, and then he lets it rip. Um, and the throw wasn't you know, right, on the, not right on the numbers or anything like that, but it was giving his receiver a chance to make a play, and Kyron did. And you know, he took his checkdowns. He looked uh, really comfortable in the pocket. You know, the, the defensive front wasn't you know what else he was going to normally have without Mason Smith, without Makai Wingo, without Jordan Jefferson, but it still had some solid players, and he was bringing pressure at times with Harold Perkins and others, and Jaden was just hanging in there, taking you know what the defense was kind of giving him, and, and really playing well. You know, It was a, a small sample size. It was just a spring game and all that, but he had already completed seven passes by the time he actually took off to run at any point. That was not what you saw out of him at the same time a year ago, and it shows that you know these there, there could be some real strides being made with him as he develops as a passer. And then you talked about Harold Perkins and his move to inside linebacker. What would you see out of him with his new position? And, you know, now with Omar Spates being around, and then of course you still have Greg Penn from last year. What's this linebacking core looking like for 2023? 
it looks really promising. This was an area at linebacker that LSU had some concerns going into the spring, mainly in terms of just the numbers there. And, you know, Harold was changing his position and um, there was, there was just a little bit of, you know, had to see how things were going to play out and, you know, was maybe going to be looking at a transfer. That's not as much the case anymore. Brian Kelly has, has said this, you know, publicly that uh, the concerns that they had are, are not what they are not really there anymore at linebacker. Harold looks really comfortable in that spot. You know, it's still going to, you know, needs you know probably more time in the preseason to continue to get adjusted to that. Um, but you continue to see his athleticism. He continued to come on blitzes. It's not like he's never going to rush the passer. Um, you know, I think an important thing to note with him is that he, throughout the spring, practiced on third down with the Jack linebackers. But now LSU's got, you know, everything that you get with Harold Perkins. It's got Omar Space, who's really rangy. He showed off his ability to run sideline to sideline. He can line up over guys in the slot. Uh, especially if there's like a tight end in the slot, he's he's perfect for that kind of thing. And LSU was able to sort of both you know move them around, and sometimes just have one guy inside while one of the other ones sort of split out over the slot, um, and you know and bring somebody off of pressure and stuff like that. And then you know Greg Penn wasn't even out there because he had a hamstring injury, but he's firmly in that mix, and he's a, you know just sort of a solid tackler who you know he went under the radar all spring, but Brian Kelly really thought that he actually had a, a good spring, um, and that. He is going to be a piece of this, you know, puzzle here at linebacker. And then LSU's got, you know, a really solid trio with a pair, Perkins, Bates, and uh, Greg Penn. Now, Garrett Nussmeyer was another strong piece, you know, but he played really well when he had his time. Now, I know that there's not really a quarterback battle going on, but for the future, because Jaden Daniel, this is going to be Jaden Daniels' final year. The future of LSU football under Garrett Nussmeyer has to look promising right now, right? It does, and if something were to, you know, got, you know, unfortunately happen, you know, to Jaden this year, like if he had an injury at any point, because he missed, you know, some time last year, he had to come out of the Auburn game, and then obviously in the, you know, he had that ankle injury against uh, Texas A&M, um, where yeah, I think LSU feels really good about putting Garrett Nussmeyer in in that situation whereas it maybe didn't feel as comfortable with that earlier last season you know we saw him go in in the Auburn game and he didn't do very much and but by the end of the season the way he played against Georgia and against Purdue in the Citrus Bowl and then continuing to show that here in the spring and the spring game he looks like he he looks really good and we've already you know we've seen this at a times out of Garrett but it just you can see the little moments that confirm that he's making that development as a quarterback that any player sort of needs to make and so you know, it's absolutely vital for LSU to keep him around. Obviously, the transfer portal is open right now. There's no expectation that Garrett Nussmeyer is going to be going into the portal. But college football is weird these days, and it's hard to predict. Um, but, you know, it, it, and so that's why it's just so important that he, that he remains part of the team. Um, all indications are, like I said, that he will be doing so. Um, but he is going to be the starter next year. Um, and if and LSU feels like it has two really good quarterbacks right now. Wilson Alexander joining us here on crunch time now you talked about the kickers and you talked about how both ramos and debert struggled could it be possible that brian kelly and and his coaching staff look to maybe attack the portal and and bring in a kicker that's something that i had wondered myself after the spring game I, i haven't yet followed up around you know with people around lsu to see if they would think about a kicker um but it's um but they, they look shaky, uh, for sure, in that game. I mean, they both missed uh, attempts from over 40 yards. Uh, they both made a kick, um, but, you know, they had some misses. And just in general, it, it looks like a worrisome spot right there. And, and now this, again, you know, it, it's not great to see. I will just maybe play devil's advocate for a second on the same you know issue that, you know, we didn't see what they looked like all spring. We saw them kick a few times here and there, and they were a little bit more consistent in practice. You'd like to see them go out and do that in a scrimmage. Um, but you do know that Damian Ramos, you know, last year as a starter, he was 10 of 14. He made it that clutch 47-yarder on the road against Florida when LSU really needed it. Um, but, you know, this is, I think what's sure to say right now is that there's a competition there. That is, is absolute. Um, if they would bring in somebody else, um, I'm not sure. But, you know, they're going to have to evaluate that position pretty hard. And, uh, you know, we'll see if they end up going that route or not. I don't know. Lastly, you know, you look at spring games, and obviously you have to take them with a grain of salt. Some people call them a a glorified scrimmage. What should the expectations be with 
the offseason that LSU has had thus far and the way the team performed at the spring game? You mean the expectations for this season? Correct. Yeah, the expectation should be that as long as this team stays healthy, that it should contend again in the SEC West, that it should be a top-10 team, and that it should you know, be in the fight for uh, you know, maybe a spot in the college football playoff. That's going to be hard to, to come by with only 14 still this year. Um, if it was 12, I think LSU would firmly be in that mix. Um, but they are going, as long as they're healthy, you know, they've got a talented group, and there's a lot to like about this team. There's still some stuff that has to get shaken out um, and some things to you know, decide and positions like we talked about to, to determine here. But um, there's not a lot of depth. So a health, an injury at a couple spots, particularly safety, could really throw the whole sort of team off kilter. Um, but what they've got in the first team is pretty strong, and there's certainly uh, reasons to feel optimistic at this point of the year. Wilson Alexander joining us for Tiger Talk each and every Monday. Wilson, appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy the week, and, and next week when you join us, hopefully we can talk about a handful of Tigers getting drafted into the NFL. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Matt. And there he goes, Wilson Alexander of The Advocate. 431 on your Monday. We'll take a timeout. Ross Jackson, a host of Locked On Saints and the Saints News Network, joins us next. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Three days away from the NFL draft, the New Orleans Saints. Ross, let me ask you this. If the Denver Broncos called you and said, I will give you the third rounder this year sixth rounder next year and Cortland Sutton for pick number 29 are you taking it oh not at all not one bit not even close oh, okay no not at all. Not a bit. <laughs> I like Cortland Sutton. I do like Cortland Sutton, but uh, what what I'm getting there is not enough in terms of me saying I'm exchanging my 29th overall selection for a so far underwhelming and underproductive wide receiver in the NFL. And in exchange, you're giving me a third-round pick this year and, and a sixth-round pick next year. That's not enough in terms of what's accompanying that first-round pick for me for a team that doesn't draft until, what, 67? Uh, in the class, so I, I think I'm okay on that one. That's fair. That's fair. Hey, Ross, how you doing, buddy? Doing great, man. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. So, <laughs> for my, you look at the Saints, and they've gotten to a point now where I don't think they need to draft a particular position. I think they are now in a spot where they can just go best available. Do you agree with that? I think so. At 29, yeah, I would agree with that. I do think that defensive tackle is a spot they need to leave the draft having addressed, uh, but it doesn't necessarily have to be at 29. I mean, there's really, really solid defensive tackles in the second and third rounds. A guy like Mozzie Smith, who I like a ton out of Michigan, could be the 29th overall selection, but could potentially be the 40th overall selection for them. A guy like Javon Dexter, who they have uh, an existing relationship with, Todd Grantham, who is now the Saints defensive line coach, was the former defensive coordinator for the Florida Gators, where Dexter is graduating from. He was a part of recruiting Dexter to that class. And so I, you know, I would look at that as another one to where the Saints could potentially, you know, address that defensive tackle spot in the third round, for instance, at 71 or trade back into the third round, wherever it might be. Uh, but yeah, I think that they're out of position to where at 29, they're going to trust their board like they always do and go with who they feel is the best player available there. But as Mickey Loomis has said before, position of need does factor in sometimes if they have two similar grades on two players so if that comes to be and one of those two players is a defensive tackle then i could see them going defensive tackle. how does this aaron Rodgers trade shake things up not only for the league as a whole but in your opinion does it shake things up for the saints at all uh it could i mean look you have now the uh the green bay packers who have set themselves up to potentially trade you know, that 13th overall selection, they moved up two spots from 15 to 13. They could trade that 13th overall selection and package that with something else to get into the top 10 to go and get the wide receiver that they want. Let's say maybe Jackson Smith and Jigba, for instance. 
And then that could put them in the situation to where they go, okay, and we have sort of this litany of second-round picks, including some conditional picks in the future rounds. Could they potentially package something in the second round and try to move back into the bottom of the first round in order to also add a tight end, let's say, for instance? And that's where maybe a team like the New Orleans Saints could be – um, you know, uh, persuaded to potentially move off the 29th overall selection if they're getting a pair of second round picks, uh, which is, you know, something like the Saints don't trade back. They haven't done it since 2007. They did it again the year before that, 2006. In fact, they did it twice in that draft. Then they did it in 2007 and they haven't traded back ever since. But as General Manager McKinley has spoken about before, it's not because they are, they are against trading back, it's just the value hasn't been there. So now all of a sudden, Green Bay, a team that they have traded with in the past, could potentially now have the fodder to potentially call up the Saints and say, hey, there's a tight end on the board that we really like at 29. We'd like to move up. Can we interest you in a couple of second-round picks, knowing that the second and third rounds are kind of the meat of this year's draft? So I think that might be sort of the hypothetical where it could impact them. But otherwise, in either case, it's just in a different order. The Jets and the and the, and the Packers still pick ahead of them. So um, kind of null and void if, if nothing were to happen beyond that. I saw a mock draft over the weekend that had – Four quarterbacks going in the top five. That's not going to happen, right? Well, I mean, Ada, it's, it's funny. If you asked me that maybe three months ago, it looked like it was potentially trending that way to where you were just going to see a bunch of trade-ups in the top five, and then those four quarterbacks, Bryce Young out of Alabama, C.J. Stroud out of Ohio State, Anthony Richardson out of Florida, and then, of course, Kentucky quarterback Will Levis, that the four of them were potentially going to fly off the board right off at the top because of a bunch of trades into and around the top five. Now, we're hearing things like Will Levis is now the favorite to be the second overall selection to the Houston Texans or whoever picks at two because the Houston Texans might not be sold on a quarterback, so they could potentially now trade out. We're hearing that C.J. Stroud is falling out of favor for some players, that he's not even a lock in the top five anymore. So as we get closer and closer, it's becoming less and less likely that four quarterbacks go in the top five. I don't know. I don't think that it happens. And I've thought that for a while because I don't know that Will Levis goes top five. Uh, but even the question marks around Anthony Richardson, high ceiling, but where is this floor, all of these other things, and now sort of this big question mark around C.J. Shroud. It'll be very interesting come Thursday night to see how much of that is just smokescreen and how much of that is, is the reality and how that all potentially pans out. Chatting with Ross Jackson here on Crunch Time. Now, if C.J. Stroud, like you mentioned, uh, you know, he falls, say, seven or eight, you know, Vegas or Atlanta sitting right there, if, if Stroud's still there for either one of them, they take him. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. I mean, particularly Las Vegas. I mean, really, both of them. Like, Las Vegas is in need of a quarterback. They have Jimmy Garoppolo, but how many games is he actually going to play for you? And, you know, how, what's the reality in terms of how long he's really going to be around in, in Las Vegas? And what does he have left in him that is more than just being a, a career backup moving forward? So I think that Las Vegas is the bigger quarterback question to answer between the two. But the Falcons are absolutely in a situation to where they can still stand to benefit their quarterback room if a guy like C.J. Stroud falls to them at seven or eight. You know, I, I can't go into detail about some of the things with C.J. Stroud, or at least I'm not going to, but you know, the things that we've heard that are potentially keeping him from being a lock at two aren't necessarily about him and, and his play on the field. And so because of that, I mean, if a team at seven or eight or nine um, ends up you know, having him fall into their laps, I could absolutely see them go with him. And I don't think that Atlanta is in enough of a position with Desmond Ritter to say, okay, we never need to invest in quarterback in the draft if a really good quarterback falls to us. And so I think because of that, yeah, one of those guys, one of those teams, if he falls there, could potentially, could potentially roll with him. A lot of people have talked about the Saints needing a tight end, and, and I don't necessarily disagree because I don't think the Adam Troutman experiment has really worked out for, for New Orleans, but I like what Jawan Johnson has has developed into but for for entertainment's sake say say the saints do need a, a tight end who should they go after and when should they go get it it's funny I, I think a lot of folks would point out you know guys like dalton kincaid out of utah michael mayer out of notre dame those guys are, are going to be really good tight ends in the nfl i don't know that they're going to be good tight ends in 2023 because 
tight ends take, take such a long time to fully make that transition from college to the NFL, having to learn protections and pass blocking calls and you know route stems and, and route tree and all these other things. Um, and if you can't be out on the field as a run blocker, then you can't. You're not going to find your way onto the field for the passing downs either. And so, you know, I think that it takes a little bit of time for those guys to, to really catch on. But really, my, one of my favorite ones in this year's class is Luke Schoonmaker, who's probably a fourth or fifth round guy um, coming out of Michigan. And he's somebody that, you know, runs sort of the split zone action that the Saints loves, where the, the linebacker, cross, excuse me, the tight end crosses behind the formation uh, after the snap. He's, you know, great when it comes to those sort of wide leak plays to where the tight end kind of sells that he's going to block, but then ends up just kind of, you know, squeaking out uh, downfield on a little corner route toward the sideline, things like that. He's also a very solid blocker. So I really like Luke Schoonmaker out of out of Michigan at like round four, one fifteen, or if he falls far enough, round five, one forty six, somewhere in that area, or depending upon how the Saints move around in there. But I really like him. I don't think you have to go tight end at twenty nine to still find somebody that can be impactful for you within the next couple of years. And I'm really excited to see what Juwan Johnson turns in in twenty twenty three, especially working with Clancy Barone, who spit out a, a couple of different, you know, Hall of Famers in his time in the NFL. Do the Saints draft a quarterback in twenty twenty three? I think that they could late uh, in the draft, uh, but I think that the if if they do, the expectation should be very low on what that player actually turns into over time. I mean. You, know, you look at the last 10 years, 50% of the quarterbacks drafted in the first or second rounds have become you know, viable starters in the NFL, and only one out of 75 has done so drafted third round or later, and that was a third-round pick in Dak Prescott. And so you, know, you don't really draft a, a quarterback late with the expectation that he's going to turn into a franchise quarterback. You know, the San Francisco 49ers might have gotten very lucky with Brock Purdy, uh, but he's in a you know very big time training wheels offense, so we'll see what happens when those training wheels eventually come off. Uh, but you know if if they do, you know a guy like Aiden O'Connell out of Purdue makes a lot of sense. Clayton Toon out of Houston is another guy I think that they like, and so you know you could potentially see them go for a quarterback late in the fifth, sixth, seventh rounds. But the expectations around what that player turns into probably shouldn't be much more, at least early on. Uh, than to be a backup quarterback, and then hopefully that that player surprises you in a few years. If you're Mickey Loomis with the 29th overall selection, the New Orleans Saints take who? If I'm making the decision, it's Mozzie Smith, the defensive tackle out of Michigan. I think defensive tackle is enough of a need still to just get it off the board early, and especially considering the fact that um, you know, you probably want an interior pass rusher, and as you get deeper into this year's draft class, there's a lot of defensive tackles that are really good, but a lot of them are really good in the run game, but you know, lack a little bit in terms of what they can do in the pass rush game. So you'd have to develop that a little bit. But guys like Brian Brzee out of Clemson and Mozzie Smith out of Michigan make sense for the Saints at 29 if they want somebody that is uh, going to be a defensive tackle that can come in and immediately impact in both ways. So if it's my choice. I'm going with um, with uh, Mozzie Smith. If I'm trying to project the New Orleans Saints, I'd probably wouldn't be surprised to see them go after uh, Clemson edge rusher Miles Murphy in this year's draft. Ross Jackson, host of Locked On Saints, joining us here on Crunch Time. Ross, what, what what's your week ahead looking like? Oh man, just you know, getting ready for this draft. I, I put out my predictive mock today, which included kind of like my dissenting alternatives. I forced myself to also do second selections or alternative selections for each trade or each move um, without overlapping or duplicating anything. So it was a nice way to just kind of, you know, have the exercise of the predictive mock as well as my own kind of opinion-driven mock. And so that's out. We'll continue to, to break all that down tomorrow on Lockdown Saints. We're diving into all the Saints draft tendencies and traits. What are the, the, the prototypes that they like? What are the things they love to do in the draft? We'll break all that down and the prospects that fit those molds. And then, you know, getting into Wednesday and Thursday, it's all about just getting ready for day one uh, on Thursday night where, you know, we'll have coverage uh, all the way through and, and everything over at Locked On for the NFL Draft all three days. Ross, enjoy the week, and uh, we'll talk soon, my friend. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you. Thanks as uh, always for having me on. Take care, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. And there he goes, Ross Jackson, the host of Locked On Saints. If you haven't seen his work with either Locked On Saints or the Saints News Network, you got to check him out one of the best in the business in terms of the New Orleans Saints. You can follow him on social media at Ross Jackson Nola. 
We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time. Wrap up hour number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you're like me and you're tired of your boring man cave, well, the game, or no man cave at all, well, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a brand new recliner from Borderlaws Furniture, a flat screen TV from AVI, and much more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover Powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the corner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Wrapping up hour number one. Hour number two is only going to be about 10 or so minutes because we got Astros tonight, Matt. Astros the, on a four-game win streak. The good old Houston Astros. So we love Kevin Foote, right? Oh, man. I was listening to him too this morning. He was talking about the Rays because they were like, "Yeah, you got to make sure the Piper is happy. You want him on your side. He he told me that. So I I got here early. And as he's walking out of the studio, he's talking to me. And he said, man, he said the Houston Astros might win the Humanitarian of the Year award. He said they gave the Braves some losses. Now they're going to give the Rays some losses. They're winning too much. He said they got to keep the Piper happy. He said that's where the Astros come in. They're going to make the Piper happy for them. Lord. That's so funny. That's so Kevin Foote. It, it really is. It really is. Uh, but talking about the NBA playoffs, because we'll we'll talk about the matchup with the Rays what a, at 5 o'clock. What a weekend. But for right now, looking at the NBA playoffs, I mean. What a weekend. Sixers are moving on. Celtics are now up 3-1. to one. And DeJounte Murray just got suspended. <laughs> As if the Hawks needed any more adversity. But the Knicks... Knicks fans, got to be pissing yourself happy, huh? You're up 3-1 to one over the Cavs. Which is so unbelievably surprising. Um, I really thought this series would be much more competitive, like back I, and forth. I thought it would have been 2-2 at this point. Um, so, yeah, the fact that it's 3-1 is awfully surprising. Um, but I will say this. Talking about yesterday's games. Props to Minnesota, right? Here's the thing. Minnesota, they had plenty of times where they took big leads over the Nuggets. The big thing is, though, they played probably their best game, and yet they still almost lost. Oh, Still still gave up the lead oh, multiple sure. times. There, there's an obvious, if there's Yo- an obvious gap there. If Jokic did not miss that first free throw, mm-hmm. that completely changed the game. Oh, no, for sure. But watching it overtime last night. They battled back because you would have thought Denver at that point, they had the momentum because they came back again in that fourth quarter. They did it twice. So you're like, well, does Denver have the momentum and they end up sweeping them? Because Ant, I almost called it. I said, what if Ant gets the ball stolen and they shoot the ball with like one second to go and they hit a buzzer beater and Denver ends up winning and sweeping off of that. It almost it, it, it almost, almost happened. It almost happened. And I thought they have the momentum there, but then Ant took over and hit the game winning shot and they end up winning. But also talking about the Kings and the Warriors, Harrison Barnes, that was a really good shot at the end because they were down one, one second to go. They hit Harrison Barnes at the left wing. He takes a shot. It's a good look. It looked in line with going in, but it moves last second and hits the rim and dinks, which Harrison Barnes, you figured out, oh, not built for that. But, man, all of a sudden, the Warriors have new life, tied 2-2 two to two with the Kings. Mm-hmm. Scary. Yeah. You know, when you when you look at the Golden State Warriors, we, we talked about how 
they might not be young enough to, to keep up with the Kings. Here's the thing, James. They have that playoff experience. They have the playoff experience. But here's the thing. I still think the Kings win the series. You still got two more in Sacramento. The Kings just win at home. They win the series in seven. So, look, props to the Warriors for making it incredibly entertaining and and putting it back at a 2-2 tie, but there's still plenty of basketball left to play in Sacramento. Hour number one in the books. we got 10 minutes coming back on the backside. We'll preview the Astros and the Rays, and we'll do that next right here on The Game. You're home for the Houston Astros and LSU Tigers. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Here we go, an eight-minute preview of the Houston Astros before we turn it over to Robert Ford and Steve Sparks. Right here on The Game, we're broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, the Houston Astros taking on the Tampa Bay Rays tonight. 540 first pitch means that pregame gets underway at 510. The Astros coming into this game with a record of 12 and 10 on the year, while Tampa Bay is 19 and 3. The Astros will go with Jose Urquidy, 1 and 1 on the year with a 3.66 ERA. He's given up 23 hits. He struck out 17 and walked 7, while the Rays will go with Taj Bradley, who is 2 and 0 on the season with a 2.61 ERA in 10 and a third innings. He's given up 8 hits and struck out 17 as well. James Mesh, we talked earlier about Jordan Alvarez being sent back to Houston to, to look at his neck discomfort. Looking at the starting lineup, for the Houston Astros. Would you believe me if I told you that Mauricio Dubon is has the best batting average in the lineup? I'd be intrigued by that stat for sure. 329. <laughs> yeah, it's pr- pretty damn good to start the season. He's, he's having a strong start to the year. And I was, I was looking at the injuries because you were talking about Jordan, mm-hmm. but I also know that Jose, he's still recovering mm-hmm. from his injury. And then... Chaz got injured recently as well. Mm-hmm. He's still in the 10-day IL. And then you also have Zach Daniels and then Parker Mushinsky, I guess mm-hmm. you would pronounce it as. Mm-hmm. So quite a few injuries have piled up. Yeah, no, of course. And then Michael Brantley started his rehab assignment over the weekend with Sugar Land. Still waiting for him to return. Uh, got a base hit in his first plate appearance. Not surprised. But when you look at this lineup, Mauricio Dubon's going to bat first, hitting 329. Jeremy Pena is going to follow him, hitting 216. Kyle Tucker will bat third, hitting 303. Alex Bregman will bat fourth, hitting 235. Jose Abreu, fifth, batting 250. Corey Jolks will play in left field and bat sixth. He's hitting 327 on the season. Janier Diaz will be the designated hitter. He'll bat seventh, and he's hitting 227 on the year. Jake Myers will be in center field. He'll bat eighth, hitting 277. And then Martin Maldonado will be behind the dish, batting a beautiful 160. Nothing like Martin hitting that solid 160 every year, am I right? Well, look. Like, I don't expect him to. The offense is just not Martin's game. No, it's not. It's just not. You get him for the defense. He's one of the best defensive catchers in the league. And you hope he gets on a nice little run Every once in a while. Yeah. Hits, if you could, a, if a you double could sp- now and then. If you could sprinkle in a single or a double every once in a while, you're ten, not mad at it. Ten home runs on the year. Like, the the expectations for offense for Martin Maldonado, very low. But you, you brought up the injuries, and, and it's interesting to look at. Jordan's now down. We don't know the extent. We don't no. know. It, it, it could be. He's back on the field tomorrow night. It could be he's, he's gone out for the two next weeks. couple weeks. Yeah, we don't know. Jose Altuve, good progress. Everything that I have seen says that he is fast tracking, which is a great sign. Michael Brantley is with the Space Cowboys, so that's another good he's, sign. He's he'll he'll be back with the Astros probably in the next two weeks. I, I, Max, I, I put it in that time frame, and then Chaz is only on a fifteen day day Correct. IL, so he'll be back in the next couple of weeks as well so 
you feel like in the near future, once you get to mid-May, mid to end May, you feel like as long as there's no other major injuries, you're going to be looking real healthy. Alex Bregman and Jeremy Pena have to be better. They just have to be better. When you, and, and I understand it's Jeremy Pena's second year in the league and he's going through the sophomore slump. and I was going to say, and because of everything they did in his rookie year. And whatever, I get it. There's such a high expectation for him now. But when Jose Altuve is out, and with the way that you played last year, like that sets an expectation. And when Jose Altuve is out, you have to step up. And that was that was my big worry. When we saw him hit the, hit the solo to secure the series against Seattle and him having the big plays and the big hits in the World Series, I worried. I was like, he's having, he's getting all this hardware in his first year. People are going to put a huge expectation on the kid after one year. And I also, I also need to see more from Jose Abreu. He he came in as this guy. I know he's thirty six, but he came in as this guy that was going to bring more power to the Astros lineup and and was going to bring you some offense. He's hitting two fifty with zero home runs. He still got ten RBIs though, so that there's still a bright side to it. He's that's, still getting. He's still getting the runs batted in. That's 93rd in the league. But, I mean, it's still a solid amount. It's not, yeah, you're it's right. It's not the worst. You're right. Like, you would like more, but it's still a solid amount early on in the season. And, and I know it's early, and I know the Astros are going to get it figured out, and more likely than not, they're going to play for a World Series. And you're on a four-game winning streak right now, which is big. But Tampa Bay is going to be a team that is going to give you fits. They've got power up and down their lineup. And you have to be able to compete with it. Yanni Diaz, Ronda, Wander Franco, Randy Rosarena, Jeff Lowe, Manuel Margot, they've got power everywhere. And then Taj Bradley's been really good in his two starts so far this season. Randy Rosarena's hitting 341. 341. Oof. Going to be a fun game tonight. Once again, 540. We're about to turn it over to Robert Ford and Steve Sparks. Want to thank our guests today, Wilson Alexander, as well as Ross Jackson, for joining us. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them. And we're back tomorrow, 4 to 6, right here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Let's throw it over to Tropicana Field in Tampa Bay, Florida for the Houston Astros and the Tampa Bay Rays. Here is the Astros radio broadcast team of Robert Ford and Steve Sparks.